Welcome. All right, guys. Welcome back. Another exhilarating episode of uh, Energy Bites this week. Got myself, John Calfan, my wonderful co-host, Bobby Nealon, other rad dad. We've got a new rad dad joining the club, Jeff Bernard, the uh, manager of digital at Arion, which he just informed us is basically the all things tech position. So that's why he's here today. But welcome to the the podcast, man. Thank you for for having me. Yeah. Happy to be part of the rad dad club. Yeah. It's welcome. It's a good club, man. We're We're just discussing the uh, (laughs) joys of parenthood and sleeping. Yeah. Sleep schedules. All about it. Very important. (laughs) Absolutely. Especially when they're little. A little bit harder when they get older, but uh, rocking my slobber and hog billboard today in uh, delirious hopes of of us maybe pulling a random win out against LSU this weekend. But best of luck. I'm not holding my breath. I'm elated that we started out and I know where we're at with the season, so I don't get any expectations. Um, but speaking of Louisiana, you guys have a, is, is that your main office in Yeah, so corporate, corporate is in Broussard, Louisiana. And then we have South Texas. Uh, we're pretty much over the South, uh, all over the South. Main uh, shell plays, um, Permian Basin, Haynesville. We were involved in the Northeast at one time, um, but it's it's too cyclical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and well, that's, so it's a long, long way to try and manage from. It is. And Coast. we did it for a while. That's actually where I started. But uh, yeah, we're focused in, in the South for now. Cool. Nice. Well, we'll get into to Arion, but kind of give us, you know, we normally ask everybody kind of, how did you, what's your background? Kind of where, where'd you grow up? How'd you get into energy and or tech and end up you know, kind of at, at Arion at this point? Yeah. So <clears throat> I started in uh, as a liberal arts major. <laughs> in uh in college and you know graduated and needed something to do and so i decided to go to work for arion and moved up to uh ohio i think yeah ohio first and uh worked the utica shell play and so chesapeake had moved a bunch of rigs in from the upper marcellus and uh it was trial by fire like go up there figure it out like get some reins on this thing i think it was like four rigs at the time and so I managed that, and then what? Uh, uh, what year are we talking here? That was 2012. Okay, okay. So I was 22. Oh, yeah. So it's like Utica on. exploration. Yes, back then, yes, huh? yes. When <laughs> Albury was at the helm, yeah. it was like full bore, right? And so those were some fun times, man. <laughs> yeah, they really were real fun. And so then I moved to uh, Pittsburgh from there, and kind of managed things out of there as well. Started doing some rig to rig sales as well as operations. Uh, hired a good ops manager. I'm not inherently an ops manager. And so uh, that kind of led into city sales. And uh, Chesapeake was sort of my you know, first big account. And, and again, I want to remind you, this is the Aubrey days, right? Yeah. So Chesapeake yeah. campus, Aubrey days, really cool place to be yeah. and start out. And so uh, sold to them for a while, then um, wound up in Houston uh, managing a Hess account. And then, um, sort of from there continued to do the corporate sales thing. And, uh, meanwhile, the whole time, you know, I'm coding nights and weekends, right. Um, started with WordPress sites and stuff like that. Say, what, wrecked, what? completely wrecked WordPress sites. Like build it. And, and you didn't start any of this until like you were working. You just, you decided to learn this stuff while you were working. Yeah. So right. I, I guess backing up a little bit, um, I learned like Dreamweaver in college okay. and like Photoshop and Illustrator, Dude, right? Was... Cause liberal arts major, you're putting together like 
Right. So what was the degree? Was it? It was in advertising. Okay. So and you had exposure to software, to a lot of those uh, creative softwares, so to right. speak. But dude, I remember, I think it was in high, like middle school or high school, uh, taking, I don't know, God, like media publishing or whatever the, yeah. the stupid name for <laughs> media was, graphics yeah. was back in the early 2000s. And uh, I remember like we Dreamweaver was one of the things that we were learning and i remember seeing the giant book mm. like you know the instruction manual of dreaming yep. we were like man that's intimidating and then you start playing around like holy shit i can build websites yeah that was <laughs> such a cool thing back then I, like, the coolest yeah yeah and and so you know it really didn't i mean i, I was i was good at illustrator like yeah. illustrator was my go-to right and so but but all that kind of taught me how to interact with software yeah right because it things back then still weren't where they are today yeah. right it was still like a lot of you had to like paste in codes here and there and so you kind of got a feel for it so you know uh fast forward to houston uh, again and uh we were having some trouble you know trying to get some projects off the ground internally uh there was it support issues and so i was like i'm you know i'm gonna take it yeah. over just take the bull by the horns and so i found myself taking over just low level IT stuff and then kind of worked up from there. Um, and then I'm like, well, IOT started coming around. Right. And, uh, I'm like particle and all of these companies, I think hologram, which is like a SIM company, you know, started making bandwidth a little bit cheaper, mm -hmm. a little easier to do stuff. So started messing around with some of that stuff. And then, um, I was like, well, why can't we connect some centrifuges? Like, Right. The biggest discrepancy typically um, whenever you're like processing solids control, because that's what Arion does on a rig, is that you do an end of well recap. And so it's like, what happened? And it's word of mouth. It's right. Somebody Notes was at a spreadsheet. Or right. Somebody's recording. On a tablet. Right. If that. <laughs> a paper tablet, not, a, that, not yeah, an electronic right. tablet. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have you have this data being entered from the field and it's like, well, how do we get it to a point where, you know, we can see this data in real time? Yeah. And so you keep moving forward, iteration after iteration, you, you, you know, have to start battling with PLCs, right? So you start learning this whole stack of equipment from yeah. hardware mm -hmm. to software. Yeah. And then you start finding like-minded operators and then things start evolving through this whole time. Like it's, it wasn't like a straight shot, right. right? Yeah, it never is. It never is. And and then you find the right operator and you start getting the right equipment and then you're in, starting to integrate with their IT systems, right? And their real-time streaming. Yeah. And so that's kind of been what I've been focused on. And then we're working on some other new products, uh, connected products as well. Okay. Um, but it, what's interesting is that as a service company, a smaller service company, um, doing it from the ground up is very hard. Uh, and so I don't suggest doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suggest finding like the right vendors and the right equipment to like achieve that, you know? Yeah, no, that's a, uh, it's funny because a lot of people, I mean, on the software side, people have the same, you know, same exact battle. Do I build it from scratch or do I use, you know, somebody's SDK or do I just use full third party SaaS product, right? Regardless of whether it's, you know, machine to machine messaging or authentication or whatever it may be. And it's a real, like, that's honestly one of the big things we wanted to kind of try and highlight with this 
podcast is that like there's a million different ways to end up at the same result and right. what a lot of people my learnings from this have been you know whatever works best for you is typically the best path whether that's if you're trying to get something spot like you've only got three knobs to turn on the project management you know wheel and that's cost speed and quality right and so depending on which one of those is most important one of them can potentially i've never heard it put that way but that absolutely makes sense to me yeah and so that's like hey if we need something fast you're probably going to go with a SaaS offering versus if it's not as critical and we can take our time then maybe we'll do an sdk or just hard code it from from nothing and so it's a it's a very real problem um before we get too deep back up tell describe what you guys do um, at Arion for the average persons that might so, not be as familiar with right. the drilling side. And- so we're on the drilling side. We uh, process drilling mud uh, through a process called solids control. Um, you're basically taking what's coming out of the well bore, putting it through equipment that's spinning at a high rate of speed. You're separating the fluid from the solids and then allowing them to uh, uh, re- basically recycle the fluid back into the drilling system while keeping the mud in specification that you know they've set for the well right and then you also do analysis on the solids as well right, right. to understand where you're Should at we even set back i mean I, I don't know how many people like and just talk about drilling mud yeah that's that's yeah, a, I mean. a good point too right so you know when you're drilling you're basically you've got a giant pipe that you're that has a bit on the end of it and you're pushing fluid or drilling mud through the center of that pipe and it comes out the bottom of it and then comes back up uh, to surface between the space between the pipe and the actual earth called the annulus. Um, and that's what these guys are looking at and separating. And so instead of that just going into a tank and it being waste, they separate the physical solids out of it and then they allow the operators to recycle it. Is that a... Yeah, that's a good that's a good description. And one thing that they used to do is they used to just dump it uh, like into big fields okay. and, and do a process called land farming. But you know, uh, over the course of probably the past seven to 10 years that has been phased out obviously because of environmental concerns. Mm-hmm. And so, um, our part of the industry has grown pretty significantly, you know? Um, and so, yeah, we basically handle everything that's coming <coughs> out of the well bore and, uh, we process all the fluid, right. Take the solids out. And then we run tests on, on the fluid, uh, called a retort, which allows you to see uh, the properties of the fluid to make sure that you're processing everything effectively. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think you can just get back the criticality. I mean, cause even like the mud weight and everything matters, like it can it's help super, prevent blowouts. Super right? I mean, it's like, one of the most important things, yeah. uh, on, on the rig. Yeah. 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 So when they talk about mud weight again, for, for those of you who aren't familiar, they're talking about the, the fluid properties that they're pushing into the wellbore. And those matter because as you're drilling through the earth, you come across different formations that have different pressures and you want to make sure that the pressure coming out of the bottom of the drill bit is not higher than the pressure going into it, which would cause a blowout. And so drilling mud and it's all of its chemical and fluid properties are incredibly important through the drilling process. So it's, so I think this starts to then highlight, sorry, yeah. probably like the importance of some of the real time aspects <laughs> of yeah. what you, you guys work towards and right. have implemented in our work. Exactly. So, um, you know, the way that people reported this uh, historically, you have what we do, which is solids control, and then you have the mud company who controls the mud. So these are two separate companies right. in charge of basically one process, right? You've got the mud engineer out right. there. Yeah. Right. And, and so there's, uh, you know, 
it really depends on the relationship between everybody on the rig. You have some rigs where everybody's like on the same page, just like any other workplace. Sometimes they're not, yeah. uh, which is difficult. And, uh, but what we're trying to do is bring transparency to the process. Yeah. And the way to do that is rather than having a human report what's going on, we have our equipment reporting what's going on. And this is nothing really new. Yeah. I mean, you have SCADA systems everywhere, right? Um, and so what we've done is just basically plugged into PLCs and we're transmitting that data where the operator's cloud is. Yeah. And I guess maybe, our, so each piece of this, I'm going to probably pull us back a bit. So yeah. can you talk about what a PLC is? Because I don't think we've yeah. hit on any of the kind we of OT stuff in this any. yet. So. It's a project uh, uh, process logic controller, yeah. right? And so it runs code from the various systems and it takes, it tells, uh, you know, a gearbox to engage or tells, uh, in, in the case of our equipment, a bowl, uh, the centrifuge bowl where the fluid goes through to spin, right? So it, it basically has, it's the computer for the equipment. Right, it's the, it's the brain for the industrial. But it also pulls the data out too, right? or, or creates data. It, it creates data yeah. and, and there's different, there's serial, uh, there's like Modbus. And again, yeah. I'm not like a, a control specialist, right? But um, after that, that's the stuff that I handle. I work yeah. with like control systems companies sure. to get it. Yeah, to get it out. <laughs> to my hardware. Um, but that controls the equipment and there's a lot of valuable data there. There's like run times, there's RPMs, vibrations. There's a lot of uh, processes that the PLC monitors yeah. that we're able to transmit to the operators and also ourselves to know if there's an equipment failure, mm -hmm. right? If the uh, equipment's vibrating too much, sure. right? Because if you have a very large piece of spinning metal, you want to have it balanced. <laughs> it's yeah. very important to Think have it your, balanced. Uh, what, like your washing machine, old school washing machine. Yeah, exactly. around like and then put it on steroids. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, yeah, and then also if if you don't know the data coming out of it within a pretty short time frame, something really bad could happen downhole. Right. <laughs> right. Like the the criticality, you know, it's it's funny because it's like the process itself yeah. of what you guys do isn't necessarily overly complicated. No. But you take that and you put it on a drill site with all the externalities that come with drilling and the urgency and the cost and the risk from both safety and environmental perspectives. It's like a whole nother ballgame. And I think that's, again, one of the big things we hope to highlight for the tech community about with this podcast is just like a lot of the stuff that we do in the oil field isn't necessarily you know, new tech or new right. things. It's taking existing stuff and figuring out ways to oil field it and That's make correct. it work in these specific yeah. scenarios under these specific conditions with all these constraints and criteria that it has to meet in order to do, to operate safely. And, yeah. and it's not also not that we necessarily want to be slow to adopt things, but we almost have to be, things have to be vetted before you can just implement them where they're like, and there's such high stakes. Yep. Uh, monetarily and just physical world. Right? And I definitely want to make the distinction. There's a difference between monitoring and control, right? Yeah. Um, we monitor, we don't control. Yeah. Our, we have people that are trained on the rig, you know, all certifications that are manipulating controls, right? Um, but we do monitor. Yeah. And uh, when you start getting into control, I, I know you've had prior conversations about rig to uh, cloud yeah. control automations, and it's like very difficult to do for a variety of reasons, yeah. right? And so we definitely don't, uh, we don't control it, but we hope to do that at some point. 
Yeah. And that's, you and I have had conversations about that in the past. That's where I met you at. Yeah. So absolutely. Okay. No, I, I think that's, well, I think that's a, honestly just a natural progression, right? Sure. Um, not just within the oil field, but it makes even more sense in the oil field just because of the additional risks and stuff associated with things. But, um, you know, I think that's, that's why when I first started talking to Hive Cell and learning about the edge stuff, I got so excited about it because you can, it's very easy to see how the dots start connecting and leading to, Hey, we were doing this on literal paper and Excel sheets to we're monitoring everything in real time to, okay, now we're monitoring and then reacting based off what we're reading from those monitors in real time without a human ever having to touch it. Right. Exactly. It's going to take time. There's a lot of things that have to be hashed out. No one has any, uh, you know, big ML yeah. models that are a hundred percent reliable or anything like that, but yeah, it can be the vision, but you got to correct, <laughs> you got to work to it. Yeah. I mean, we're absolutely, I, I feel like the industry as a whole is <clears throat> understands it at least. And it, un, it's not, it's not this crazy, like exotic theoretical thing anymore. Right. right? It's like, okay, we can see how these things comp compound with each other in these different texts, whether it's edge or just IOT in general. Yeah. And then you throw Starlink on top of it and right. Like it's, right. you're solving all of the kind of, pieces and once you start putting all that together you're like oh this could really be interesting i think what's interesting about that is you have you know um you have existing systems out there it's not like you haven't invented from the ground up yeah. right yep. and so it's not I, I think there's a tendency to want to over complicate things that's where i was initially yeah. right um but the more you go along the path of like trying to figure these things out i, I really do feel like less is more in a way mm -hmm. um you know we started with some very elaborate modems and stuff like that tried to self-develop some stuff it was too much yeah. uh just it it, it was it, it wasn't that it was too much it was kind of unnecessary and so it's also are you an infrastructure company <laughs> right. or are you a software company yeah. or are you right you know, arian i mean what do you what is your core what business are you? yeah. right and so so you the best thing to do from our standpoint is align yourself you know with a robust industry, like if you're going to go with an IoT modem, right? Go with the most robust mm -hmm. modem that you can find, right? Yep. And then um, something that's you can expand on, right? Because once you install it in equipment, <laughs> right? You don't want to reach capacity yeah. as soon as you install it. Yeah. And then from there, uh, you can keep expanding the operations, but you want like as few components as possible. So like your edge device, run an MQTT, right? Running probably ignition edge or something like that. And then you're pushing data out. Super simple. Okay. So, so here we are, we're working up the stack. So we yeah, got the so PLC let's, let's and now we're talking about your edge, edge device. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's dive into that and then maybe dive it. Cause again, we, we, you know, John and I are pretty familiar, but I don't think we've really gotten into, no. you know, this kind of edge stuff very much, maybe with, um, uh, Halliburton, um, Federico a little yeah. bit, but like, I mean, let's talk about edge device, talk about MQTT and like how that's different than some of the other protocols. Yeah. And I would even say back up a step further <clears> and <throat> basically start from the bottom, right? So the sensors to the P PLC and mm. like, because that's another um, direct camera moment uh, <laughs> for all the tech people in the world. One of the biggest complications on any oil field operation is that there are potentially dozens of different vendors on the same job, all monitoring or pulling data from different things in different ways in different formats. And that's where things get really interesting from a, from an operations perspective, because it's all disparate data and different people's systems at different rates at different times and all that. And so 
that's why in my opinion it's taking us so long to kind of adopt a lot of these things even just as simple as monitoring right not controlling right. or automating just monitoring is because there are all these different protocols these different structures everyone wants to is hesitant to uh have someone plug somebody else's stuff into their stuff because what if it breaks or if there's anything malicious or they're going to steal their information whatever um so I, like it's it's really cool that you guys have what you've or have built what you've built so far because of i mean that's a big hurdle out of the gate right, right. it's like y'all aren't necessarily generating your own data if you don't have input from some of these other systems and stuff right. so kind of walk us through from like base layer you've got your sensors up then to the plc then to the edge device all the way up to the kind of the cloud side the yeah so like just generic architecture yeah. right mm -hmm. yeah um you have your sensors and then that's being pushed to the PLC. PLC is running all these interactions with it, right? And so you have a set. You're not going to acquire everything yep. from the PLC because some of it is just, yeah. it's not it's not vital, right? So you define what you want to acquire from the PLC. That goes into your edge gateway, right? And that's usually a Modbus connection between the PLC. So it could be Modbus, Serial. Uh, it really depends. And that's the other difficult part yeah. <laughs> about oil field equipment is if you're doing this like uh after the equipment's built yeah in a lot of instances you know you acquire equipment through whatever and then you have all these different plcs right okay. so nothing's the same imagine like windows 10 windows yeah. 11 windows 7 right so you're having to sort of funnel all of this in to your gateway right and then you have two paths so you can push to the rig or you can push to the cloud yeah. we do both um, because we want to be independent so mm -hmm. that we can have control over it. Uh, and we provide our own connection. Um, you know, trying to run off of the rig Wi-Fi, it's a lot of red tape. Yeah. IT doesn't love it. So you have well, to... There, it's another dependency, right? Like It's another dependency. That you have no control over. Which well, so initially, a funny story, early on... You can see both sides of it, I think. Early on, we, you know, uh, you know get, the, get the green light to connect to rig Wi-Fi. And then we had... Uh, sort of a segregated hotspot by itself on a, its own network. And uh, people are plugging it, unplugging it to plug in their cell phones, like <laughs> different people on the rig, right? So you're trying to roll out this project and then it's getting unplugged. So it's like, the hotspot was connected via USB or something and they want to plug it. Or... Yeah, and like the doghouse or something, yeah. right? <laughs> and so you're having to battle stuff like that. So that was when we sort of made the determination that, okay, we have to be completely self-sufficient. Yeah. We cannot rely on anybody else. Yeah but our own comms. And so, you know, we have, you have your edge device that has a modem built into it, right? And so you can push uh, your data to the EDR system, which is the drilling recorder. It's like the server on the rig. And that's not going through the internet. Is that on it? That's local but, now. Yeah. yeah, so that's locally on the rig. You're sending it, you know, to the rig system. <clears throat> that's being done with whatever they want to do with it, display it on the right. monitors on the rig, whatever. And does that become part of the WISML stream? It does. Okay. Yeah. So it gets aggregated into the WISML stream. Okay. Yeah. So a few things there. EDR, uh, for those who don't know, is basically a drilling rigs black box as compared to the airline industry. Uh, it's where all the data goes and ends up most of the time. Um, it's something that the completion side has yet to figure out. And uh, <laughs> Bobby and I are intimately familiar with that in our past. Uh, so that is a luxury of upstream. Careers. Huh? of drilling oh, yeah. specifically um you know drilling they pace on i believe was the first one that introduced that back in like the 90 early yeah. 90s and it took another 20 years for <laughs> completions to be like hey 
that's a good idea. But at that point it was too late because <clears throat> frack yeah. was blowing and going. Yeah. But, uh, so that's what the EDR is. And then, um, what was the other one I was going to mention? The, uh, well, Witsamel probably. Witsamel, yes. I'll let either of you get into that because you're both more familiar with Yeah, Witsamel. I mean, Witsamel is basically a, a data standard for yeah. transmitting drilling uh, data. And I actually have Witsamel for completions now, but no one's really adopted it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and say what you want about it. It's XML-based generally. I think you, they can technically push it JSON if you want it, but most people... I'd rather in that, but... <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but I think most, it's pretty standard. It comes out yeah. in its XML format, but... You know, whether you like it or not, it is a standard and people know how to develop against it. And so yeah. it's allowed the Corvas of the world and different, you know, vendors to actually develop against it because it's a standard and they can do things with it. Look, look what we can do when we have data standards, guys. <laughs> Let's figure it out. Very on everything else. So, so again, I, I mean, what you guys sent to it is just one yeah. piece of it, but yeah. there's all the different pieces, but it's a central place. You know, that stream is where, you know, people can get the data they need in real time. Right. And that allows, that allows the, you want to have multiple streams, right? Because, or multiple avenues for data acquisition because it's not guaranteed that they will let you plug into the, right. the EDR, right? Sure. Like it's going to be operator uh, specific, yeah. right? And so you want a way to be able to plug in to say something like Corva or something else, right? Like I imagine a future oil field where you have like who's going to build Zapier for the oil field, right? Like who's going to build? Such a great idea. Are you going to build it? <laughs> maybe, maybe three of us need to because John's talked about it. I, you know, I, like, I've been I've been like foaming at the mouth over this for like a few years. Yeah. You know, like just aggregate this this layer that you could plug into, and then send data to whatever platforms yeah. operators are using. No, I think we're actually finally. I when Bobby and I first started talking about that it was a few years ago, and. Uh, you know, I started looking. I was like, man, nobody has even, no one even has APIs that are, you know, Disparate. exposed or anything like that. No one wants to work together or partner on shit. Everyone's still super secretive about yeah, everything. It's the worst. But over the last, I think honestly, COVID was really the big kind of turning point for some of this stuff. We've started seeing more and more like uh, Cold Bore and uh, Corva partnering mm, up with yeah. stuff. And like, that's exactly what the industry needs. Is yep when we can all specialize on the thing that we do really well and let someone else do the thing that they do really well, but then we can share and integrate with each other. Yeah. The possibilities get so much greater. Um, but yes, let's, we can, we can chat after about that. I would, <laughs> I, I mean, it makes so much sense because there are so yeah. many workflows in the oil field that are just disparate for no reason. I, I mean, I imagine it like it would be, um, and I know not everybody is using cloud platforms. Like I understand people still have their own on-prem stuff. Yeah. That's fine. But, uh, you know, you sign up for a commercial software and then you go get your API key and then you start start working with the API. Like, that's what I hope that the yeah. whole field goes to. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so that's sort of what we're planning for. Like, for sure. whether that's five, 10, whatever years down the road, that's where I think things are heading. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I think the operators help too, right? Like being able to have operators in their contracts say, you must have an API or you must be willing to share data yes. or even let people plug into your box. They're not trying to infect it with the virus right. or yeah. steal your code. Not trying They're trying to hack it. Trying to make it easier for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, so I think, you know, working our way up the second thing, we've, we've skipped a little bit of a step. So I do want to go back. So you yep. sent the EDR, but then also you're saying also you can push to the cloud platform. Right. Um, and then we can get into on that side. Cause you know, John and I have talked about APIs and some APIs are not very good. They aren't. <laughs> um, so it's a matter of like, you know, 
we've said before maybe i just want you to just dump a csv in a <laughs> ftp folder at this point because it'd be easier to get than getting out of your copy api but, right um but let's, let's step back until we get to that point um so if you just the edge device is sending can send locally like on the rig but then mm-hmm. you're pushing up to uh, your cloud platform yeah and so sort of how that works is that is another component that's independent, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. We originally had a fully integrated solution. The company no longer provides it. That's another thing to look for is when you're getting hardware, make sure that the roadmap is set up long-term so that you don't get rugged on the yeah. <laughs> on yeah. the device, right? Because then you have to start ripping and replacing. So try to keep things modular, keep few components. And to your point about uh, the MQTT, the, the, the Beautiful thing about MQTT is you're not wasting a ton of bandwidth. Yeah. It's sending data whenever something changes rather than... It's a push rather than having to pull it. Exactly right. Yeah. And so you're not you're not pinging you know, your data every second to check for something new. It's sort of like a webhook for any yeah. developers mm-hmm. out there is how I view it. Uh, I know it's a little bit different, yeah, but... Trying to think what the JavaScript, is. you know, I guess, um, it's not, a, you know, it's the, it's a socket essentially, right? Um, like but, a web socket. Yeah, web socket. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, but yeah, but I mean, it, it, there's a couple of different protocols. I mean, I'd be interested to know what you guys, because I know like there's some of where you can guarantee delivery. Yeah. And then another one where you, if say if you got super high frequency, you can send it, and but be like, it may or may not make it there. <laughs> you yeah. Know, but, yeah. So we have like an MQTT platform yeah. basically, and. Uh, you know, it's plugged into the edge device. And so you set the parameters, your dead bands, which is basically like, when do I want it to send a piece of data? Yeah. And then so data sort of like trickling up as it's changing. And so uh, that keeps your bandwidth costs lower, yeah. mm-hmm. which is very helpful, right? What happens if you lose connection? Well, <laughs> yeah, try to get it back up as fast as possible. That's, no. and, and, well, I mean, and that was kind of a leading question. I mean, from, just yeah, as far as MQTT, the beautiful yeah. thing about MQTT is if it, if it if you don't have connection, what it stores it. Until it stores it locally and then pushes it up it. whenever it gets connection again. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like you're you could be sitting there polling, never get anything. But like, because sometimes when you have those polling type systems, like they're polling it for a certain timestamp because right. it knows what time it is, and then you lose or you have to go back and repoll everything. Like this, we'll just store it until all right. Now we have AT&T is back up, and then that whole packet of data is gone. That's right. Yeah. So you can there's different data retention time frames, but you typically retain it on the device. And then whenever you have a live connection again, it'll push it back up. Yeah. 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 Bobby's Bobby's speaking from, uh, from experience <laughs> on, the, on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Of yeah. Uh, it's nerve wracking sitting there watching drop connections and you're like, uh, yeah, but yeah. We, we, you know, already especially yesterday, if you don't like have a, MQTT, yeah. you were in like a polling type system and it's just like a, then how to go back and get stuff off of, you know, off of the device or yeah. Yeah, just. That's know. why I'm a big proponent of, uh, if you're not going to self-develop things to get a, a very robust platform yeah. for that. So a lot of that infrastructure is handled. So you don't have to have yeah. a massive team to handle infrastructure. Well, and it's tested so, by other people too, right? Like right, the supported. Risk, it's de-risked to so, a So can you speak yeah. to that platform? I don't, I don't know how much is proprietary or not. There, so, uh, yeah, a lot of it's proprietary. I mean, it's pretty standard stuff, you know, like Ignition Edge. Everyone knows Ignition yeah. Edge, who's in the automation controls, and sure. there's a lot of power in that. The real sauce is like the algorithms behind it that you can develop sure. uh, on. So, are y'all running? So, this is inductive automation. Yeah. Ignition right. Edge mm-hmm. version. Are y'all running Edge on or yeah. that on your Edge service? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the beauty of that is, uh, it's low code, yeah, uh, and and that's really cool because it's very supported. You can uh, basically copy and paste projects very yeah. quickly, and well, that it, 
Go ignition ahead. is also just like a big industry standard, right? Like right. everyone in <laughs> industrial automation yeah. knows ignition uses it. Yeah, right. So there's no propriety to that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's something that until, I guess really until I got kind of into the production data monitoring space, I had no idea that that existed. And then once I got into it, I was like, holy shit, everyone pretty much uses ignition. And I mean, breweries, yeah. like nu- nuclear power plants, yeah. like yeah. everyone uses ignition and it's super cool and it just keeps getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they've got all the, I don't know what they call their, what acronym they use for their partners and, and all of that stuff. That's the other big thing on the industrial automation side, right? Is like historically, there are all these like proprietary formats and stuff that yeah. each sensor vendor built so yep. that they could basically lock people into their platforms. And now that has finally started going away, especially with people like Ansys and Ignition and those types of folks being able to basically make it. It's almost like a Zapier if you think about it. Yeah. Because it can yeah. read all the different formats and from different uh, protocols and stuff like that. Um, so are you so does that then push to the ignition cloud not ignition cloud we have a different mqtt service Mm -hmm. um and so it pushes to there and then they have a very robust graphql api okay nice so rather than you know like rest or anything like that you're able to get what you need in the queries that you build um from that api yeah well this is good i mean we haven't talked about graphql apis at all um I'm very interested because it's one of, one, really sweet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of no, they're pretty cool. It's just, it, you know, you have to rewire your brain a little bit yeah. on it, but I mean, and you tell me if I'm wrong, my understanding, I've used it a very little, uh, cause most people don't expose them, especially in the oil field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> they have no idea what GraphQL, <laughs> but it's like, cause like traditionally with a rest, you have like a certain endpoints that you right. can hit. And then like, say so you have to hit three endpoints to get the data you need. And yeah. then you have to combine them downstream. Yep. With GraphQL, you can almost kind of write that query against those three tables or endpoints right. and get the data from one GraphQL call. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And and that's the beauty of it is like, uh, to your point, rather than having a library of endpoints, you have one endpoint, like one pool of data, and you're able to just fetch what you need out of it with the different, you know, parameters yeah. basically you're in structuring it yeah. in, the, in the query and doing all the joins and stuff exactly yeah, yeah. and so cool. when you fish stuff back out like if you automate it from another system like something like data factory uh, mm. from microsoft or logic apps like you're pulling it from that api uh into another platform you're able to like dynamically change the parameters right. which makes it really nice because you could build a ui on top of that sure and you don't have to like do 100 endpoints yeah yeah that's slick and then, so that goes into a database of some sort? Yeah, so it basically it just goes into the MQTT cloud, which on the back end of it, it's like a SQL database. And then that's where the API we plug into there. Okay. And then we can push it to whatever other platform we want to, right? Consume it how how we want, which is really nice. And that's uh, sort of my first thing to look for when onboarding any sort of new technology. Like they have to have an API. That was my first requisite. And then I learned very quickly, to your point, Yeah. Uh, you got to have a robust API that makes sense because <laughs> and, an API is nothing if it's not robust and yeah. and well done. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I had one I, and I wasted probably three days of developer time and then it turned out I couldn't get the data in the back end that matched <laughs> what I saw on the front end. So frustrating. And I was like, and you immediately like, think I, like, it's I see this fault. data point right yeah. here and they're like, oh yeah, sorry. Well, if that vendor's offboarded from our platform, yeah. I'm like, you can see it. You can't get it from the API anymore. I'm like, like no. then how are you serving it to the... UI, yeah. I want that. Like, like that's our API. Yeah. 
And you're like, no, that's literally. Well, the I was like, point. Well, that's what I'm paying for. Yeah. Well, what I what I build is totally useless now because we need data all the way back to the beginning of the year. You know, like, yeah. And so I, you know, I think it's uh, asking a lot of questions is the main yeah. thing. And when you're you find the like, people who are willing, the oil field's 24 hours a day. Yeah. So when you're working with these vendors, like, of course, don't be a jerk, yeah. but you need them to answer the phone and you need to have someone who knows the system that you've been sold. Yeah. And so that's another thing I've tried to align myself with. Just like when you're in the oil field for the people that don't know, like you build these relationships with people and they answer the phone, right? Doesn't matter really when, but they're going to answer the phone. And so I try to look for those same partnerships with vendors, Mm -hmm. whether it's a sensor or whether it's cloud tech, like answer the phone. Microsoft, it's not the same thing, but their stuff always works. Yeah. So it's different. Those are pretty robust, you know, you can generally count on it. <laughs> like, but the independent components, you want people that like know these things intimately. You want them yeah. to. But even like, and you could argue, I mean, like Microsoft, whether you like their documentation or not, there is generally documentation for Tons. what you want too. you know, so you better, it can be a and or kind of thing, but you better have either someone who pick up the phone or somewhere I can go and get the answer I need and be able to search it pretty quickly. Um, but I think that's something people undershoot and like, and John and I love our open source stuff. But like it's open source it's on you if you decide to implement it now you can obviously do like the cloud hosted version and yep. then you then you have that support but i think to your point like when something's business critical you better have some support on the other end of it and i think that's why oilfield it loves microsoft because you know like there's just that support system around it yeah. yeah and i've heard a lot of conversations on this podcast that have gone back to microsoft but i really think it is true like most businesses run on microsoft yeah. right like uh, as far as like office 365 so once you're there you're like not going to leave probably there's really nothing to replace it in its totality of what it offers right especially when they're coming in and offering all the operators (laughs) infinite cloud credits to make sure they don't move to aws or yeah google and 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 like i sort of went down the aws route early on but i was like everybody's here right Right. so if you're building like even internal apps with like power apps like low code right your user base is there. You're not having to like jump through a bunch. Right. You just manage it all from there. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Even like, you know, one of our new data engineers, um, Sean, he, he builds actually PHP apps, but you look, you deploy it through Azure web apps and he easily ties into our authentication. And so all the duo authentication or IT setup is already just kind of there as a, you know, gateway into it and people can access what they need from the cloud, but it's all federated and it's easy to get to. I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm excited about uh, their partnership with OpenAI. I really tying it to the oil field specifically. There's like a lot of tribal knowledge in the oil field, yep. and uh, I know like LLMs and all this stuff. It's buzzwords right now, but after heavily using ChatGPT, mm. I can really see a lot of that tribal knowledge getting integrated into uh, the workflows yeah. that we're doing. Right, and that's one thing I hope to do is like sort of start working with getting context out of the data we're acquiring mm-hmm. to the end customer from you know Microsoft's cloud and their yeah. partnership with OpenAI and Copilot well, and you, well, yeah, I mean just I mean, just the idea of a Copilot I mean it obviously it started off like on the kind of the coder GitHub side but I mean now they have just decided do you have Copilot for Word Everything. or Excel or I mean even just across the whole Microsoft Fabric stack I don't know if you, how much you've looked at that yeah, oh, yeah um, Sweet. I mean, that's going to be where you can use Copilot to build your data factory pipelines and then your Power BI. I mean, just the whole, you know, cradle to grave. I mean, the, the vision is great. And again, now let's see if Microsoft can execute on it or how long it takes them to execute on it. I would, it's usually an if, not when. Yeah. Uh, or a win, not if, you know, kind of thing for them. They'll, yeah. they'll get there. But 
Um, this is probably like the biggest data release they've had in a long time that I'm genu- genuinely excited about. I mean, like it's been a lot of it's like yeah, piecemeal a little yeah. bit, yeah. They, but the, as they always do, they start to figure it out, and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. now we have this cohesive thing that works. Like Synapse was a disaster for a while, and it's gotten better and getting better, and now it seems like, well, shit, if this fabric thing works out, this is gonna be a game changer. Yeah, they've done a really good. I mean, there's very few companies that can uh, compete with the likes of microsoft and apple and and those folks but typically the bigger a company gets the worse their that's true support turnaround innovation and all that stuff gets but microsoft has done you know they're one of the outlier cases as far as software companies goes where just because they have so much built-in network effect from office right um and just windows in general out of the gate that they don't have to directly innovate they can go buy someone, but the way that they innovate is by really, truly being pretty good about seeing where things are going, quickly buying someone that's ahead of them in that space, mm-hmm. and then figuring out ways to integrate it in every possible aspect across the the stack and stuff. And I think that's the their feedback loop that they've got, like Power BI, right? Like I remember yeah. when Power BI originally came out. I like the backend editor having a GUI instead of having the hard code stuff, which is really slick. But then it's like, but I can't, you know, just little stuff that I was used to, like in Spotfire, it like was impossible to do at yeah. Power BI. And I was like, okay. And then you revisit it a year later and you're like, oh shit, this is like a much more complete product in a relatively short amount of time, considering it's a, you know, international release of a software yeah. product. Um, but I think that's one of their like big advantages, right? Is they have the network effect everyone is using their entire stack basically on a day-to-day in an office and so it's just how do we plug in these new things and make them as uh as useful as possible they've done a great job of really mm-hmm. getting that feedback loop i think the same goes for power apps yeah. um, i built a ton of stuff yeah from power apps and uh you always get asked in, in an it role hey like we have all these spreadsheets. They're all serving mm-hmm. the same purpose. Like, how can we, from a C level perspective, like how can we see all this data, right? And and so, um, I've built a ton of Power Apps, and that platform has only gotten better. Yeah, right. That's yeah. no, really. I mean, we we've got a couple just released too by our production tech built them and released them up. And, you know, went up and the field loves it. And <laughs> what what I wish Microsoft would do is buy Bubble, <laughs> because I develop like a field application for our guys on bubble um and i think that if they acquired something that was outward facing like a low code builder on top of all the tools that they have it would be a complete game changer i'm really hoping for that yeah yeah because it's it's like then you would be able to give your customers you know easily true true exactly yeah yeah because that's the hardest part is like, then you have to go build something custom for the customers. Right. But I'm a big believer of getting the data to whichever platform that they use, whether that's Corva, you know, AI Driller or any of these platforms. Right. Like that's why I've gotten things to where it is now. So because I'm waiting for the, the Zapier when you build it, <laughs> yeah. I'm wait, you know, like we'll be first customer. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, so going first, I don't want to skip this point because yeah. it's, intimately important i don't think the tech community understands this enough so hard turn to the camera (laughs) but what we were talking about earlier as far as support um i i think we understated it to be completely honest like as much as we were talking about it uh you cannot work in the oil field if you aren't going to be able to have someone answer the phone when 
one of your customers calls you at 10 p.m. on a Saturday night. Um, you know, you you might have 24-hour tech support where it gets pushed to a voicemail and then it goes into a ticket and it, like that doesn't work in the oil yeah. field, right. especially when you're doing operation at the operations level. Um, so please be aware and cognizant of that because it's it's very important. And just because you've got the best devs in the world, if they're not available or they're doesn't you know, matter overseas on holiday and they're not available, it you're going to lose customers very yeah. quickly or That's, not get them. It really is amazing. Like just picking how important just picking up the phone is. And it's not even just oil. Like I mean, you see it like all these small business people on Twitter talking about like, if you just move into a arena where the other guy doesn't pick up the phone and you just answer the damn phone. Like, yeah. You could make a killing. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, um, or something else I was going to go with there. When I was in sales, like, I probably sold more by just answering the phone. Like, I mean, I think I was on Bourbon Street one time. Yeah. And I'm talking to a company, man. It was like during Mardi Gras. And, like, you're selling stuff then, right? Yep. But it, it applies to the technology aspect, too, because once you get integrated yep. and they're starting to rely, like, when you get a sticky product yep. and it's data-related and that dies it's as good as your equipment being down. Yep. It's the same thing, right? And so yeah. it's part of the stack at that point. Yeah. So it's like very imperative to answer the phone and fix the problem whenever there is a problem. Yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. especially, I mean, always, but even like early on, I mean, like I know, I think it was Combo Curve, like when they came out, like they, they'd they be back with you in 10 minutes if you send an email. Like, I mean, yeah. it was just like, and that was something you just don't, you don't get that from Landmark and Aerie, like, you know, Hal Burton. Like, I mean, yeah. like if you just no, get you on don't. the phone and yeah. then you're working through stuff with people and you have, if you put that first, like if you got a startup, you should put that first. Like, I mean, like it's easy to ignore, but if you don't have good documentation or people to answer the phone, like, yeah, you're screwed. I want to know y'all's opinion on are is there going to be a startup that replaces like the Totcos and the uh, like the EDR systems? Like, is there do y'all think there's going to be someone that comes in and revolutionizes that space or that's sort of just baked in? So my thoughts on this are interesting because it's more from the completions perspective mm. but i'm surprised and this has actually kind of happened in the drilling space i don't honestly know whether that happened through acquisition or uh or what but you know the manufacturers have all of the opportunity in the world yeah. right the novs the dragons everybody that's building equipment in the oil field has like you have 10 steps ahead of everyone else sure. that's trying to go out there and, and the money this. to do it right, right. yeah Be, and you know exactly what the customer like you have everything you possibly need to know except they're all huge and so innovation is not normally the thing that they're the best at but yeah. you know you're you're the ones that's actually generating the raw data from your equipment so yeah. therefore you should have the ability to then go do a bunch of stuff with that raw data right um but like i said those companies typically are bigger and they are much slower to innovate and a lot of times they spend, they overspend, they over-engineer, um, and it takes a, you know, look at Corva, right? Like people like that to come in and say, hey, this exists, we're gonna piggyback off of that, but we're gonna do a lot more on top of it yeah. than just what you guys are doing today. And so I think I think you'll see like consolidation really around some I just, of that I, stuff I can't wait to see other companies, I, and there are some like AI drillers out there, yep. right? I've, I've spoken with them, uh, but Corva's made it really easy to go in there, like their mm -hmm. app store, like they're they're making a hard, you yeah. know, plug for, for for what we're talking about. It's still a little cumbersome to integrate. Um, I'm like build a WYSIWYG, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
I want to drag and drop dashboards and, and get stuff in there real quick. And, uh, and I think that they'll probably get to that. And I, and I hope there's more beyond AI yeah. driller and all that for all the different peripheral services. Yeah. 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 So without, I mean, I was just curious, like what, like what, what would, what, what does like zero to one look like in that space? Is, is there going to be enough? You, Cause I think to really replace it, it has to be that much better. If people say I'm going to oh, yeah. move to it. Like, um, you can't just, one to end on it and be like this is a little better people aren't i mean you yeah. have to for them to you know it can't be get off of like witzemol or these standards that they have like everything built off of and like we were talking about before the show like it it has to make sense for you to even invest the time and money to transition to that yeah it's yeah. got to be a step change not a a uh, additive kind of situation right but i think again i'll go back to corvo like i know the, one of the problems we've run into is like we integrated, but the operators we work for, like it's, you know, you work for operators, you don't. And once you don't and they're on something else, then you have to figure out how to get back in. Yeah. Get, well, get your data to their platform yeah. when they're not using XYZ company. You yeah. know what I mean? And so it's like, um, Corvus done a really good job at building this platform. And I just hope that these, other companies that are up and coming or the pump manufacturers and all these companies start building technology yeah. into their equipment. I don't know what the incentive is other than the operators are like, we need this, yeah. right? That's an incentive. I just don't know how like a lot of these companies have so much market share yeah. that they kind of just, you got to take what you can get. Well, I think yeah. the, the other problem of it too, is it it's this, it's a trickle up effect almost where it's like, okay, we're NOV and we develop this new system that completely automates the drilling rig. Right? Yeah. Like, nobody has to touch it in this future fantasy world mm. um well so then nov has to sell that to whichever service company is buying it so nov is going to want to make money off of it and ideally in a SaaS arr way and then the service company is also going to want to make money off of it because it's the new thing and then then you have to take into account what the you know oil and gas market is right is it up is it down because that's another good point, that's right? The, 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 the value yeah. of of what you're providing <clears throat> has to be so great that it's such a it's a legitimate step change in what things are doing. Otherwise, the operator just sees it as another cost potential, like another <laughs> rabbit hole we can go down. But oilfield typically treats data as an IT function and IT cost, not an additive benefit within each yeah. asset. And so that that has to, it's changing as, as I think. The, also, you know. I think people are going to, our generation, I guess, right, will split the difference between, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, us. Um, They don't find it, oh, feel that interesting, right? Yeah. And obviously, every environment uh, that we're in is not conducive to people entering the oil field. Um, I hope people see it as vital. Yeah. Um, I, at one time, very, you know, when I started and I didn't see a path for tech, I would thought about getting out of it and then i saw some things starting to change and so i stayed in it right yeah and i think it's going to take more of that i don't know if there's going to be a ton of new entrants because of it's like not cool yeah but hopefully that changes right like we need it um technology is going to be a pivotal part of it i think we can make it like cleaner better all Mm -hmm. of those things uh and all tech's like really cool well, yeah, it's I mean, a really cool problem. There's so many problems to solve. And so it's like, yeah. if you, if you like solving problems, the oil field is a great place to be because there are so many, and it's not one of those where it's like, 
hey, we made you know the manufacturing time of this thing 10 seconds shorter, so the company saves <laughs> however many millions of dollars. It's, hey, we're a critical piece in lit the literal global supply chain yeah. of energy, which is not yeah. going anywhere anytime soon, regardless of the source. Like Humanity has only ever needed more energy, and I don't see that changing. Like, right. The sources might diversify more and more, but energy as a whole is not going away, and there's a million crazy interesting problems to solve and there's all kinds of crazy cool tech that no one really talks about yeah which is why dw exists um wasn't it like the energy viper guy on twitter he always he'll always show when people truck he's like we never actually replace an energy source we may add more of another yeah. one but we never like he'll show the draft i'm pretty sure like the graph is like we've never replaced you know an, an energy source ever right. it's just it's we've supplemented just, here it was and now oh now we found oil mm -hmm. well, we, we figure out nuclear a little bit you know like right it, but it never like cuts into the other ones yeah. like it's just we need more so yeah. yeah that's why we we preach energy addition not transition because and using technology i mean let's make it cleaner right like yeah. I, th I don't think anybody is against that right <laughs> and i think that's the biggest misconception is like yeah, all, that everybody just wants to like walk around in oil based mud in yeah. their living room like just not <laughs> no, i'm just stopping, nobody wants to do stopping that stopping by yeah. the park to dump out some oil into the, into <laughs> right. the, the pond it's like most oil and gas people are hunters environmentalists they right. hike they go camp they ride mountain bikes like we spend a lot of time outside and it's right. yes we want it just as clean as everybody else yeah. i also want to be able to drive to work reliably every day and right. have electricity when i come home and all of these yeah. joys that energy brings to the world no it's just insane i mean you think about the whole infrastructure because everything in real life i mean like we we're talking to my daughter about water treatment the other day and it's just like like the amount of energy it takes just to run a water, yeah. you know, just that, and we just turn the faucet and there's clean water. And like, it's just that all stem energy has a huge part it's in all that. All like, contingent yeah. upon dense energy. Yeah. Yep. Well, coming back, circling this back to, you know, tech, guess what? All those AI models run on GPUs and guess what? GPUs need a lot of, a lot more energy than compute has needed historically ever in time. And so even just, just on the technology side, the energy demand is going to continue to grow and grow. Especially if we electrify future. everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, that's to, that's to me the biggest like misnomer. It's just, it's frustrating to hear. It's like. Well, it just comes out of the wall. Right. right? Yeah. Sparks of magic. That's magic. what we call them in, high school, in college. Yeah. The, ele <laughs> the electrons are made with magic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think we've got about five more minutes to, to wrap things up. So yeah. we, we typically end the episodes with uh, some, some, uh, the speed round just quick pepper you with some questions and all right get to get some good info out of you but um so i mean you've talked a lot about uh you know that you like to have the support but are there any open source you know tools that you generally like or have had a lot of success with i haven't really used a lot of open source stuff yeah. now be just because of the support um yeah. a lot of things i've done i need support because i don't have like we don't have a massive team it's yeah. like me and another person basically sure. right so it's like you got to get it up and going and keep it maintainable and so um i don't really have any good open source okay. yeah so, well, if you want me to just piggyback because i think it follows pretty well. like, yeah. what's your favorite managed service then well managed service uh i mean again i plugged microsoft cloud like i work there yeah um <laughs> you know azure's the i think the the best inclusive cloud you've got a lot of tools so you can get up and going with stuff very quickly you can connect everything and it's a good place to learn uh, that's what i like i want a product i can learn from um and so yeah definitely microsoft's cloud nice yeah what about uh 
language what what do you normally if you're doing any code or some python, python um a lot of my stuff is like just small scripts i don't yeah, write yeah. any huge libraries uh i mean i i could sling a lot of json yeah <laughs> i can map i can map the hell out of some json that's you the, know uh, the gateway drug to <laughs> that is data science is api calls that's exactly how yeah I, so I apis right yeah. like that's what i've uh focused a ton of time on i actually find that i'm a terrible front-end designer I, i've designed a lot of front-end sure. it's not good no but it's functional design is difficult and you have like the advertising background and where you've even done some of that right like, and so mine might look better than other people's bad designs yeah but it's not great i really love back-end uh i love apis i'm just yeah. an api aficionado yeah. i will go look for like like the iss uh international space station mm -hmm. as an api that you can you know, like I just go find all these yeah. obscure APIs. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I do the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's fun. To, I know. I see uh, your LinkedIn posts. I'm like, yeah. It's same. fun. Well, it's just like, hey, I can type a few things and I've got all this data available to me to do whatever I want with. Exactly. You know? And it, it, it's when it's when it works properly and it's well documented and it, there's no issues. APIs are awesome. You know, you know, it's an amazing company. Like real quick. And you'd, I think you'd like it. You should probably talk to the guy, Ethan, who runs it. There's this company portable.io. And they're like, we've talked about Fivetran before. They're mm -hmm. like Fivetran, but they'll write it for any obscure API. Mm. Dude, I talked to him for 30 minutes and I told, it was just like, here's two APIs. Like, it's not a big deal. But if I get, I swear when I go, I got off the call with him. He's like, here's a prototype. Like, I don't know what system he has behind it. Yeah. But he can connect to like any API yep. and have it into a, like a snowflake data warehouse. Like, it's freaking insane. Yeah. Like, he's got some system behind there. Like, he connected to it. Like, you just tell them, like, this is what I don't have. I want it. And then they'll build it and it's 200 bucks a month or whatever. Like, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's, oh, that's real cool. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's where we're starting. I mean, you mentioned it, Five Tran. Uh, I've messed around with that a lot, based off of Bobby's recommendation, and it's, it's, it's kind of like Zapier, but for APIs, right? It's Very you've got all these pre-built APIs. You just connect them. You uh, authenticate with your credentials, yep. and then it you set it. It gives you a little GUI that says how frequently do you want this to pull Sync. the data. And then where do you want me to push it? Do you want me to push it to Snowflake or BigQuery or where do you where do you I want to go? I definitely will it's, yeah, uh, check it out for yeah, sure. They're pretty slick. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, yes, as a developer, you could hire someone or do it yourself. But then especially like this is my big issue that I run into with a lot of APIs because on the marketing side, a lot of them are big public you know, social media stuff. Right. And they're always updating them or changing the OAuth workflows or you know they're always trying to get the latest security which is great but a huge pain in the ass if you're a solo developer solo tech data person trying to do this with all of a bunch of different sources right because it's like okay well i've got to go back and rewrite test it and figure it out or i could just pay someone a few hundred bucks a month to do all of that for me and just turn them on and off and manage. that is very cool it's yeah. yeah it's it's pretty slick um do you have any uh favorite github repos or python uh uh github repos actually noster so noster is a yeah. protocol I, I don't know if y'all are familiar yeah. with it but it's like a it's like a uh decentralized social network it's okay. run on um, lightning right well lightning's a part of it yeah. that's the payments part of it but noster you basically have different clients the uh, the one for ios that i use is damas and um you can like import. So say you got kicked off of Domus, you could go to Blue Sky or another client, yeah. import your your key, like it's a, a a key that you have, and it'll like you could be anywhere on any platform. So there's no central governing body of it, and there's a ton of development going on. Uh, Lightning, which is you know yeah. layer two of Bitcoin, 
um, is uh, integrated with it. And so you could like pay people in Bitcoin for content. Uh, I think it's amazing. And that's the repo I've been following. I've been trying to trying to figure it out. I'm learning WebSockets to try to develop something on it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, Noster's really, really fascinating because it's it's a uh, you described it perfectly decentralized social network but the whole idea there is that you can't get banned can't. because you, it's all your information it's your private you can get banned from the client right but, but you can't you can get banned move from over to another client platform. and yeah. all your stuff is still there and then that leads into the web3 stuff of you own your data right. and if people want your data they can pay you for shout it shout out to brave browser yeah, amazing brave. browser yeah it's a decentralized yeah, browser. That, yeah. very cool um favorite or influential book Okay, this is probably going to either make some people mad, but uh, Elon Musk's new biography by Walter Isaacson. So Walter Isaacson has chronicled like Benjamin Franklin, Steve Jobs, like notable historic figures, Mm -hmm. regardless of your opinions of Elon Musk. He's a prolific individual, whether you hate him or love him. The book's really well done. Um, It shows you like how crazy he is uh, from like personal relationship standpoint. But what it takes to like get yeah. some some monumental stuff done, and so on a microcosm, yeah. it's like made me look at what I'm doing, and sort of like put it under the light of scrutiny in a healthy way, of course. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, but that's been yeah. It's my, I'm a real. I try to get like two books in on Audible a month. Yeah. And so that's been my first check one. That out. Go Cause download like, it because when I did read zero to one like that was it was uh, peter thiel but it peter gave thiel, you yeah. but it gave you like insight into that paypal mafia mindset oh it's incredible like, yeah again you need to go zero to one you need to like do something big and earth shattering but like it explains why like for a while i was like I mean, elon musk is like a what would happen if you gave a billionaire or a five five-year-old a billion dollars like, right i want to go to the moon and i want to build huge but he's old, doing but, it but like but, but he's doing it but then like you just understand like it could totally flop but like he wants to do yeah. something that literally no one's done like yeah um, so. But his new book doesn't just pump his stock. Like it yeah. definitely shows the human side, sure. which is helpful because I think that our generation has seen like the Facebooks and right. all these companies and like all this mythology. Yeah, and it made everybody feel like, well, why, why didn't I create the Facebook yeah. or something like that? And sure. then you start seeing behind the scenes is helpful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. That's um, the wrap up. Yeah, just uh, yeah. I was gonna ask like, who's your uh, favorite social media follow? Uh, probably Sir Sleepy or Tannel on Noster okay. for memes. They got okay. some really <laughs> banging memes. And <laughs> We're all about the memes here at <laughs> well, DW, don't worry. Go no further. Uh, and then Zero Hedge probably okay, yeah. for like, you know, they're, uh, they're on Noster as well. Twitter. Yeah. So Zero Hedge is probably. Yeah. They have some really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like yeah as much as we shit on social media for all the terrible things that it does to society having people like that on there you know that just put out really good interesting stuff is is such a good benefit but man appreciate you coming where can uh where can people find you linkedin (laughs) yeah and then uh i'm on nostr as roboshi okay Says so like robot and Satoshi. Okay, they like that. Yeah, Roboshi. <laughs> what about Arion? Uh, yeah. So Arion.com. Um, if also I'm looking to hire somebody who knows the Microsoft stack, uh, doesn't have to have super big chops for from the ground up coding, but like understand how to integrate APIs and. I, I got someone we need to talk after. Yeah. Cool. So that's where you can find me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. While some may see them as the crazy ones. 
We see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Goodbye.